Good afternoon. I hope you're ready to jump into the Word together. We're in week three of our series on greater love, but before we jump into that, I want to tell you a little bit about where we're going starting next week. We're starting a new five-week series next week that I'm really excited about, and uh, we wanted to actually show you exactly where we're going, and one of the reasons is because we want you to get excited about it. We want you to invite people to join us next week. Um, we're starting a series called Jesus in Genesis, and if you have good eyes, you might be able to see in the logo that the name Jesus is in the word Genesis there. I think that's pretty clever. Um, you'll see a bigger version of that next week if you come back, but uh, what we're doing is we're taking a look at the first book of the Bible, and we're seeing how Jesus is all over the place in the first book of the Bible. And some of you might say, well, wait a second, Jesus was born in, you know, we learn about that in the New Testament, Matthew, so here we are in Matthew, and, and some of you might say, Jesus doesn't show up until here, the New Testament. So how could Jesus show up in the Old Testament? How could Jesus show up in the first book of the Bible? Well, Jesus is all over the place in the Bible because the whole Bible is about Jesus. All of history is about Jesus from our perspective. And so what we're doing is you're not gonna see the name Jesus in the book of Genesis, but you're gonna see references in what's called a type of Christ, types of Christ, which is a foreshadowing of Jesus, all over the Old Testament, all over the place in Genesis. So here's where we're going in the series in, in, the, in the first week, which is next week. We're gonna see how Jesus reverses the curse in the first few chapters of Genesis. There's a passage in Genesis 3.15 that talks about the snake, the serpent, striking the heel of, the, of a man, and then, but the man would crush his head. And that's actually the very first reference to the gospel, it's called the Proto-Evangelion, the very first time we see the gospel in the Bible, or reference to the gospel. The gospel, of course, being that Jesus came to the, to the world, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and then rose from the dead. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan thought that he had won, right? Satan struck his heel, but when Jesus rose from the dead three days later, Jesus crushed his head. So that was prophesied in Genesis 3.15. And so we'll see how Jesus reverses the curse in the first week. In the second week, we'll look at Genesis 14, and we'll see this, this really mysterious figure called Melchizedek. Melchizedek, I don't know if you knew this, Melchizedek was, a, was referred to as a priest of God, and yet the priesthood hadn't even begun yet. The priesthood came with the law of Moses, which happened 400 years later. So how in the world does a priest show up in Genesis 14 before the law even shows up. Well, we're gonna answer that when we talk in week two about Jesus being a priest like Melchizedek. And then in week three, we're gonna see the story in Genesis 22 of when Abraham, this is a pretty famous story, when Abraham brings his son Isaac to an altar, God tells him, sacrifice your son. And we're gonna look, week three is really fun, we're gonna look at five connections between the story in Genesis 22 and what Jesus does on the cross. And it's gonna be really good. So Jesus is the son on the altar. And, Week three. Week four, we're gonna see how Jesus is the stairway to heaven. If you've seen, I'm not talking about the song, we're talking about the story in Genesis 28, where Jacob, if you remember the story, Jacob and his mom, Rachel, they deceive their, his father and steal the birthright from Esau. If those of you remember that from kids' church when you were young, Jacob steals Esau's, his older brother's birthright, and so his dad blesses Jacob, thinking he's blessing Esau, if you remember the story. Well, then Jacob flees right after that, and on his way out, as he's fleeing that dysfunction and sin, we see that he has 
he has this vision of this stairway to heaven and angels going up and down that stairway in Genesis 28. Later on, Jesus refers to that in, in when he's calling Nathaniel to follow him. And Jesus says, I am the stairway to heaven. And so we're going to unpack all that. It's really good. That'll be a great one in week four. And then we're going to finish up by talking about how Jesus is the rejected ruler. For those of you who know the story of Joseph and the multicolored coat, right? And Joseph was rejected by all of his brothers and sold into slavery. And all of that, it turns out, is a type of Christ. It's a foreshadowing of the work that Jesus would do. And so we're going to finish the series with that. So it's going to be a great series, lots to talk about, great opportunity to get into a small group or into a mentoring relationship if you aren't already in one as we start Jesus in Genesis. Again, that starts next week, so invite people to it. If you feel like, hey, there might be some people in your life, in your world that would enjoy that, and invite them to come back. Even if you don't think they would enjoy it, invite them to come back anyway. Um, all right, so anyway, today we're going to finish up with this series on love. We've been looking at these three different types of love in the Greek language. Agape was week one, this unconditional agape love. When the Bible says that God is love, if you were to look at the word in Greek for that, the word would be agape. God is agape. We looked at that in week one. That's the, the most fundamental love that we have in the Bible, agape love. And then last week, John, Pastor John bravely preached on eros love. If you see the word erotic on a building, young people, don't go in there because that's based on eros love, which the Greek culture really sort of distorted. We don't actually see the word eros in all the translations of the word love in the New Testament. If you were to look at all the times the word love comes up, not one time is the translation from the word eros because the Greek writers were like, it was so distorted in their culture that they didn't even write about it in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, there's a whole book of the Bible dedicated to it, Song of Songs, and that's what Pastor John so bravely preached on last week. He did a great job too, by the way. It was really good. And so we saw that last week, and so today we're gonna finish up with this third type of love from the Bible. Again, it's, we say from the Bible, but these are words in the Greek language for love, and we have one word for love, the word is love, but when we read it, it's actually either one of the, it's either agape or eros or philia. There's actually a fourth word for those of you who are taking notes at home. One of them didn't make the cut. The word is storge, love. That's kind of like the love that a, that a dad has for a kid or that a mom has for a kid. That's a fourth kind of love in the Greek language. And if you're interested in studying more on this, C.S. Lewis wrote a book years ago called The Four Loves, and he talks about all four of these loves. It's a little heady, but good luck. If you want to read that, go for it. So today we're going to look at philia love. Let's start with a definition. Philia, everyone say philia. Philia, good job. Your Greek is very good. Philia is an affection toward others that grows beyond a good feeling to become a mutual commitment. I know that's a mouthful. Philia is an affection toward others that grows beyond just a good feeling to become mutual commitment. Now here's how I like to describe philia. Philia love is when you want to love somebody. Agape love is when you have to love somebody. <laughs> Your agape love isn't necessarily two-way. Even eros love isn't necessarily two-way because you could be infatuated with somebody and they don't reciprocate and you have that eros feeling toward them but they don't have it back toward you. 
Philia love is when you like somebody, like you just love hanging out with them, you love being around them, you enjoy their company, and they enjoy your company. It's mutual. You guys are your, your BFFs. That's philia love. So philia love is when you like somebody. Agape love is when you love somebody. You can love somebody and not like them. Right? Everybody get in mind somebody that you have a hard time liking. Raise your hand if you got that person in mind. Someone you have a, even if they're sitting next to you, still raise your hand. Someone that you have a hard time liking. Everybody, everybody has this in your world. There are people in your world that you do not like. That's normal. There are people in your world that you do not philia. Okay? But God says you should still agape them. There are people in your world that you don't like that you're still supposed to love. When Jesus said, love your enemies, he did not use the word philia. He used the word agape. He said, agape your enemies. He never commanded us to philia our enemies. You cannot like someone, but you still have to love them. If you have a teenager at home, you have agape love for that person, not necessarily philia love. Don't worry, they get older and you'll be, they'll be more lovable. I remember my own mother-in-law said this. She's like, yeah, when, when Tracy was in junior high, we didn't like her so much, but they still agapeed her, even though they didn't philia her. But she's very philiable now. You want to write that one down. Now that you know what that means, that is philia love. You like, but you don't necessarily love. Let's look at it in the Bible. I've got this, this morning, we're going to do a little Bible study again. And, and I've, I did a screenshot today. I know it's a little harder to see. But this is actually my... Bible app that I use on my iPad. It's the Olive Tree Bible app that I use for my study. Every morning when I wake up and I study God's Word, I open up, I actually don't open up this Bible. I don't usually open up this Bible. I open up my iPad where it's got a lot more tools on it. You can go split screen. I can have a commentary on the right and the scripture on the left. What you're looking at right here is actually the ESV version, and it's, it's the ESV that's got something called Strong's Concordance connected to it. So I remember when I was in high school, I had a Strong's Concordance, and it was like thicker than three of these. How many of you have ever seen a Strong's Concordance? Yes, some of you know what I'm talking about. It's a big, thick old book. And years ago, some theologians got together and and categorized all the Greek and Hebrew words, gave them numbers, and then so that when you're studying the Bible, you could say, which, which word is this? And you could kind of cross-reference the words in the Greek language. Because remember, the, the Bible wasn't written in English, right? So it was written in, much of it was written in Greek, and the New Testament was written in Greek. So we have a translation. So it's helpful to actually jump into what the actual word was in the original language. And that's what the Strong's Concordance does for you. So this particular, again, this is the ESV with Strong's numbers. I really highly recommend it. It's actually not very expensive. So you can just click on a word, and it'll pull up the word in Greek that you're looking at. That's what what I did there. So this is the story in John 11 of of the death of Lazarus. It says in verse 3 that the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent to Jesus, and they said, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And the word for love there is, as you see it, phileo. Phileo is, I've been using it inappropriately today. Phileo is the verb for for this kind of love. Philia is the noun. 
So in that earlier you saw philia, and now you hear me say phileo. Phileo is the verb form. Philia is the noun form. So this is the verb. So he says, the sister said, the Lord, Lord, the, the one that you love, talking about Lazarus, the one that you phileo, the one that you actually like is ill. And so if you know the story, Jesus, Jesus goes a couple days later, he shows up, and Lazarus is already dead. And so as we see later on in the passage, verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. That's a really good memory verse for those of you who are still trying to memorize stuff. Jesus wept is a great one, John eleven thirty-five. 35. And so the Jews said, see how he phileo him. See how he loved him. Again, phileo means to be a friend to, fond of, or to have affection for, denoting personal attachment as a matter of sentiment or feeling. Again, it's different from agape, and it's the kind of love that Jesus had for Lazarus, even though Jesus probably, when it says that it's true that Jesus loved the Pharisees, that was not phileo. That was not philia love. That was agape love. I would imagine that probably Jesus had a hard time phileoing, I don't know if that's a word, but phileoing Judas. There might have been times where Jesus had a hard time liking Peter. <laughs> Peter was the one, the disciple that stuck his foot in his mouth a lot. And there were, I'm sure there were some times where Jesus was just, you know, shaking his head at Peter and rolling his eyes at Peter, right? And so that's philia love versus agape love. Here's a question for you. This, this message is really going to be very application-oriented. So we're going to have a question after each point today. And here's my question for this one. Who is someone that you have to love? That's agape love. And who is someone that you want to love? That's philia love. And some of you might be like, man, I don't understand. Like, this sounds... I don't understand why we're talking about this. This seems very honest. This seems very transparent that we're being honest that there are some people in our world that we want to love and some people that we have to love, but it is the truth and there is a distinction between these two types of love. I have a friend, one of my answers to this is my friend Chad. He lives in Colorado. He's been, he's been a good friend of mine for the last couple of years or a couple of decades and his father just passed away a few weeks ago. So I spent, we had a memorial service the other night. I flew out to Colorado and spent a couple days with him. And it was just such a reminder being with him. Like I, I was excited to see him. I couldn't wait to get in the car and, and catch, catch up and chat and talk. And he felt the same way. And we just have this, this incredible, this friendship, this bond that goes, that goes deep. And so when, when his father passed away, I was right away, I'm just connected, I'm ready at a moment's notice to go see him, to help him out. And he would do the same thing for me if my dad passed away. That's my friend Chad. The other night we were at a restaurant and one of his neighbors ran into us at the restaurant and started, his name's Chris, and started talking to us and chatting with us. And so Chad and Chris and I are talking and connecting and I'm hearing Chris's story. And later on, we get in the car to drive home and Chad gives me the, the last 10%. You know what the last 10% is? The last 10% is when you say stuff to your spouse or to your philia friend that you wouldn't say in front of the other person. Some of you are like, oh, that's what that's called. Yeah, we call that the last 10%. So we get in the car and he's like, hey, I gotta tell you, man, that Chris, he lives like two doors down from me, Chad said. He's like, that guy stalks me every day. So that was the last 
Chad agaped Chris, but he didn't philia Chris. It was someone that he loved as a neighbor. Jesus said, love your neighbors. Jesus said, love your enemies. But it was one of those guys that he didn't really connect. You know, they're just people you don't connect with. That doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean they're bad people. There's some people you're gonna have an affinity with. That's great. Chris was not one of those for Chad. Anyway, Chris texted me later that day. So apparently Chad wants me to be Chris's best friend, take a little pressure off of him, I don't know. But he might be one of those guys for me as well. That's the difference between philia and agape. So this is a great question for you today. If young, you know, families to talk about, it's really important. This message is a message I really want my kids to understand and, and apply to their own life. Parents, talk with your kids about real friendship. Friendship is important, and I think we live in a culture where, where you know, with Facebook friends and all, there's just so much fake stuff out there. Friendship is so important. We're gonna see that as we continue in the message. Here's the second thing. Christians, followers of Jesus, are marked by a love for each other that's rooted in our shared identity and experience in Christ. And that's, that, that makes this kind of Philia love transcend anything else we have in common with anyone. You know, I think about it when I, you know, whenever I run into someone who's from the Midwest, I grew up in the Midwest, there's just an automatic like connection there, right? That's that common, that shared identity experience. But it's so much more intense when it's someone who has received the agape love of Christ. You know, when we sing together, when we worship together, I just was thinking this today as we were worshiping together, there's something about singing these songs where so many of us have experienced the truth of what we're singing in these songs. Do you sense that, that it just kind of knits, it knits our hearts together as we worship and as we, as we sort of, as we speak out this truth together, as we verbalize this truth together and we talk about our, our way maker because we know that we're all broken and we're sinners. And there's something about connecting. I love connecting with our pastoral team. We connect with our pastoral team and we get it. We all have very common experiences. We're trying to do our jobs together. There's, there's, that's an experience of philia love. And the truth is that this kind of love is so unique in, within the church. You know, when I used to read this when I was in high school, I remember reading stuff because the New Testament is filled with, with encouragement that we philia love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, I used to, in my early days as a Christian, I was, it seemed offensive to me, like that seems a little bit cliquish almost, like that we should love each other with this special kind of love within the church. But as a, now, now that I'm further along in my faith, I think I understand it better. It's this, that we have this shared identity and experience, and so what it does is it naturally makes that love that we have for other Christians, it makes it deeper, it makes it more meaningful. Let's look at some scripture around this point. Again, this one is from John chapter 15. Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another. If you click on that word, that would be the word agape, not phileo. As I have loved you, phileo love, greater agape, you see it? Greater agape has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so, again, we see this connection of agape, but I want to show you the next word here, and that word is philos. Greater love has no one than this, greater agape has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his philos. We see the connection between these two concepts. 
And then later in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, now concerning brotherly love, and the, tra- the word there in Greek is Philadelphia, literally. Philadelphia literally means, Delphos is brother in Greek, philo is love. Philadelphia means brotherly love. He says, so now concerning brotherly love. Paul is writing this to the church in Thessalonica. This is one of those verses that I had a hard time with when I was in high school because it's saying that there should be this special love that we have for the other believers. But it's true. And he goes on and you see he says, you, brotherly love, you have no need. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another and indeed that is what you're doing. So we see this connection between the agape love of Christ and the brotherly love that we have for one another as a result of that deeper agape love. And this is good, this isn't bad. This is a good thing and we should embrace it. And so the question I have for you is, why do you think it was easier for the early church to be a band of brothers? And what would it take for us to get back to that today? I think we see this all over the Bible, all over the New Testament, all over the early church, that they needed each other, I think more than, the, than we need each other today. We can kind of see each other on a Sunday morning and we can maybe go to small group, but the, the, our connection to one another I don't think is as deep as it was 2,000 years ago with the early church. My answer to this is I think it's because of persecution. I think persecution has a way of drawing us together and saying we need each other. We need this love that we have. And I, I believe that, that we're gonna see more of this persecution in our culture today. I think we're gonna see more of it. In fact, I, we, in one of the earlier services, we had a pastor from Maine in, in church with us this morning, and he said in Maine, we're already seeing it. I think we don't see it maybe as much in Utah, but he said in Maine, we're already seeing it. There's, this sen- there's a sense in his church, he said, where we're, United. In fact, in Maine, they're still not meeting. And he said a lot of folks come from Canada to come to church in Maine. And he said since March, they haven't been able to come across the border because the government lets them go across the border to work, but they don't let them go across the border to go to church. And so that's a small example of the kind of, in essence, like it's like we're, we're, it's forcing them to recognize how much they have in the church, this band of brothers concept. And I think that we're gonna experience this, even though that seems like maybe a bad thing, persecution might seem like a bad thing, but no, in the early church, it, it, it intensified their philia love for one another. And I think that's what will happen for us as well. You know, last year, 2020 was a, was a tough year in some respects for our staff, because we had, not just with COVID, but we had just some, just some staff issues that happened. You guys probably don't largely know a lot of what happened, but. All I, all I can say is I have a, a more profound philia love for Pastor John and the other pastors on our staff now. There's a bond that we have because we went through a tough season together on staff, and I so appreciate that bond that we have. That's the philia love that we're talking about. One last thing. Philia is the basis for a deep, lasting connection that we share with our closest friends And these are the friends that we need to help us grow in life and faith. And I would circle or underline the word need there. This message I mentioned is the message I really most wanted my kids to hear because I want them to know, and young people, I want you to know this. You need good, and the word is need. You need good philia friendships with other believers. My daughter didn't really have that in high school. She had good friends, 
And they were good, solid people, but not real philia. Remember, philia is mutual friendship. Philia is, I've got your back, you've got my back, and I think Kenzie's a good was a good friend to a lot of her friends in high school, but it wasn't always reciprocated. And she's only recently developed a good friendship with another believer who's just, we're so, Tracy and I's parents are just so grateful that she has a friend like that that can, that can sharpen her and strengthen her in the faith. And this is something that we all need. So young people, your parents are probably already telling you this, but I'm gonna affirm this again. It's in the Bible. You need those deep, close friendships. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be friends with people who aren't Christians. That's not what I'm saying at all. You should be. They need you. They need your love. They need your friendship. They need your witness. But we need a handful of solid followers of Jesus who will walk with us. One of, you know, I've, I mentioned Chad is one of mine. Another friend I met in college and to this day is still a deep philia friendship. His, his name is Sadi and, and he was a guy that we studied math together in undergrad and, and I'm still connected with him. Tracy has those deep friendships. We all need those deep friendships. It's something that God wants. Let me just close with this example in the Old Testament of such a friendship. David and Jonathan. It says in, in uh, 1 Samuel 18, verse three, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And the question is, do you, are there people in your life that you say, that's, that's someone that I love as my own soul? You know, this is this soul level friendship, this philia friendship. I don't know if you know the story with David and Jonathan, we're out of time, but, but Jonathan was Saul's son and Saul was the king and David was the, gonna be the next king. God had promised that David would inherit the throne. And so, so as a result, Jonathan was, was kind of caught between loving his dad, which was probably like storge love, and loving his friend David, philia love. And he never compromised either one of those things, but it's a beautiful story of this deep soul friendship, even to the death. And that's the story of David and Jonathan's friendship. And so my question for you is, who are two or three of your soul friends and how have they helped you grow closer to Christ? And I kind of want that question to ring in your ears as you leave today. Because again, for you young people in here, I'm not your dad, but, but I want to talk to you like for a dad for a second, like your dad would or your mom would. Like, I want you to have some of those friendships. I pray for my kids to have some of those deep friendships. I want my kids to see my deep friendship my kids know about the philia love that I have for Chad, and Chad's kids know about the philia love that he has for me, and it's good. I want parents, make sure your kids see your friendships that are like this so that they'll want the same thing because like it says in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, and that's philia love. That's the love that God wants us to have. It's rooted and based on the agape love that comes from him, and then it extends to this, these deeper friendships that really challenge and strengthen us in our faith. So may we all have philia love. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would help us today to apply this message just how you want us to. And so for the, for the young people in here, for the junior hires, for the high schoolers, even for some of the college students in here that maybe are, are still missing this kind of philia friendship, I pray, God, that you would provide it for them. I pray that you would open up doors. God, open our eyes to see our need for this and then open up the pathways for us to connect with these friends. And God, may we be these kinds of friends to the people in our world. 
We just want to say thank you, Jesus, that your love paved the way for this kind of friendship. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus, you had that agape love for us, and you laid down your life for us. And yet you have called us not just servants, but you've called us friends. I pray, Lord God, we would be able to extend that kind of love, both the agape love and the philia love to the people around us. And I pray, Lord, that you would be blessed and glorified because of it. And I pray that our lives would be enriched. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.